Well, this is going to be, I think, somewhat loose. I only have a couple of questions, and I think we mostly want to hear the questions from uh, the audience. But I'm going to start uh, with Danelle. And, uh, and, and I'm not sure if it was clear who's who. Well, this is Danelle, and to her right is Shawnee. And to my left is Carrie, and to her left is Jen. Uh, so, Danelle, I'll start with you, and then anyone else in the, on the panel who wants to answer this question. How can parents homeschool in today's environment? Well, first of all, you don't have to move to Wyoming. I just want to say, well, that's uh, not kind of how the homeschool movement is now. Um, really, anyone that wants to homeschool, there's some kind of uh, organization. Maybe there's a co-op, or um, there's, there's so many new things that we're going to talk about today uh, that make it really easy for working parents or stay-at-home parents. You can be any kind of home educator you want. Um, I will say this, in 2019, we had 2.5 million homeschoolers. Today, we have over 5 million. So the idea that it's like a fringe movement, I used to think of this myself, you know, I think, oh, these are like religious zealots, these are like, I don't know, they're like homesteader weirdo people, like, I don't know who they are, who are these people? And honestly, I'll just say, like, I, I'd see people in my own community, I'd think, oh my God, are those kids gonna be okay? Like, are they qualified to do that? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then I became like one of those weirdos. <laughs> I was like, oh well. I, basically, like it just didn't fit for my family. And so I have tried uh, multiple different versions of, of education, private, Catholic, and homeschooling. And then within the homeschooling con uh, like construct, I guess, or, or realm, um, I have worked with co-ops um, where we do like our art and our, our music I, and that gets farmed out so I pay a certain price and then I drop my kid off and they're there all day and they can take piano and they can take art and they can do whatever they want. They sign up for classes, it's a whole day event. Um, I have also do uh, something I would call community learning. So one, we buy a pre-packaged curriculum and that's basically my lesson plan but my 13-year-old is completely self-sufficient and just does her lesson plan. There's actually very little teaching left for me to do on certain topics, like math is her thing. And she's like, oh, mom, please, that's not the right answer. Let me show you how it's done. So she like, who's educating who at this point? Um, but anyway, so a community type of program is you buy a prepackaged curriculum, it gives you the lesson plans, then one day a week we have community day, which is basically school, and we pay a tutor, and the tutor facilitates everything. They're held accountable, which I like that piece. I don't have to like, is she, is she reading on grade level? Is she doing this? I don't have to panic about that. It's all done for me. It's kind of the lazy person's way to homeschool. Um, so there are many, many different ways to homeschool, but if, you know, for any parent that thinks, oh, I don't have the time or I can't do it, I mean, obviously, it depends on your kid and how many kids and what kind of style you want. There's, some, there's, there's certainly something for everyone. So there's lots of different ways to homeschool. And well, now I'm wondering, what ages are, are your children? I have a 13-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 17-year-old. My 17-year-old early on told me, I think it was fourth grade, she said, you know, Mom, you are way too unschooly. I need a Catholic, strict education. <laughs> I mean, at fourth grade, I was like, wow, high five, like, good job, Grace. 
So um, she, that's what she wanted, and she's at a Catholic boarding school, and she's getting that structure. My son was like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's homeschool. And I, I was very sort of unschooly. He spent a year taking apart uh, really junk that the, that the uh, Brimfield antique people gave him because of, he's so adorable. And he was back then, and he's still adorable. Um, and he really spent a full year just taking things apart. Wow. And my husband like nearly had a nervous breakdown because he was like, he's not putting it back together. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's not the point. He needs to understand how things come apart. And if he can't put it back together, well, guess what? He'll figure out, I better label. This is what, and that was his style and he loved it. And uh, eventually he did go back to school, which kind of was a little bit heartbreaking because he was super fun to homeschool, as is my 13-year-old. Um, but so I've had, I've had them in public school, I had them in private school, I had them in Catholic school uh, earlier on, and they all kind of like found their own way. I mean, I guess I always try to give my kids agency in anything, whether it's religion or education. I try to help them to, to I mean, we only give them options we're gonna agree with, right? So like when they chose the public school, I was like, mm, not what I wanted, but I had to do it. And, I, and, I, and then when they wanted to come out, they were like, you know, mom, you had a good point there. And that just is such a, it turns like what was a battleground for us into I don't wanna to go to school or this is stupid, why do I have to do this homework into really a partnership. And anytime something comes up, I'll say, well, did you wanna make a change on your decision? And they're like, oh. I'll do the work. So it makes it a lot easier if you give them a little bit of choice. It sounds a little scary, but I think you know, you know, you know your kids best. And if, you, you know, if you're in a position to do that, it's really, it's really rewarding from a relationship point of view and really prepares them to take ownership. I'm not gonna worry about my kids. When they go to college, they're gonna learn. It doesn't matter if the professor, whatever the professor is teaching, they know how to find the wisdom and the knowledge. They know how to, really, they're all sort of autodidactic at this point. Because I forced them into a position, they had to deconstruct what was best for them at a fairly young age. So hopefully, I don't know, I'll report back in five years. Maybe they're all in prison and I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure the therapists were gonna have a field day with our children, but <laughs> hopefully, at least at the moment, they're doing very well and I'm, I'm really proud it's of all of them. It's an in vivo experiment. Yes, yeah. exactly. Now, does everyone on the panel, are you all currently sort of homeschooling or alternative schooling children? Do you have, what ages? I have, um, my son is not in school, he just graduated, he's 19. But I have a daughter in high school, she's 15. So she's in online homeschool. Okay, so. and how about you? Yeah, mine are uh, seven, 10, 12, and 14. Okay, and? No, my daughter is a year and a half. Um, <laughs> so she's very young, I don't have to worry about this yet, but I think it's important, um, you know, I was an educator and um, I lost a lot of trust in the public education system, that's why I, I left. So I think it's important, not only as an educator, but as a parent to learn about alternatives and see what's best for my family, even at this point, we're already looking, so. Yeah, and, and can you tell us just a little bit more about why you felt that you had to leave? Sure, so I was a fourth generation teacher, something that I always wanted to do. And um, I always dreamed of having my own classroom. I'll never forget one of my favorite Christmas presents one year. 
my mom, who was a teacher for 35 years, she convinced her custodian to pull out an overhead projector from the dumpster at her school. And that was my Christmas present one year, and it was like the best thing ever. <laughs> um, so from a young age, I always had my little classroom, and um, it was always a dream of mine to just welcome all my students every day and make sure that they feel empowered and heard and valued. Um, but over the past two years, I guess, progressively, the representation of the books and the conversations, the SEL equity work was getting really progressively divisive. And so that's kind of what pushed me to leave. I lost a lot of trust in the system, like I said, not only what I was teaching my students, but also the professional development that I was um, going through as well. So I left teaching and my resignation about a few months ago went pretty national. Um, I, I spoke a lot about it on different um, news stations and podcasts, and it was a really unique opportunity because I could share in my experience. Um, and I think for the first time, I really learned the power of my voice, you know, the be, being able to freely speak about what's really going on in these classrooms. And it's been really scary, yeah. <laughs> definitely scary, but um, very empowering also. So I'm excited to be here and learn about homeschooling with everyone. And what state are you from? Connecticut. Connecticut, you said that, okay. Um, now, Shawnee, uh, you also left a teaching position. Can you tell us about that? I did. Um, so I was teaching in New Haven, and just last year they began to give the teachers equity training. So it's not really in the classrooms there yet. Right. Um, it's probably based a lot upon teachers individually. Um, so they gave us equity training last year, and I was like, oh no, if it's coming to us, then next we're going to be teaching it to our students. And I'm, I'm not standing for that. I'm not teaching. I'm not participating in the indoctrination of our students. So I began to look for other options. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew a lot of parents needed other options as well because not everybody can, not everybody can homeschool for whatever reason. So I came across this private membership association thing. Um, and I figured out you could do it with education. So, my, so I'm sorry, what's it called? A private education association. PEA. Yeah. So it's a private membership association that focuses on education. Um, so we are exercising our constitutional right to assemble and associate. We have the right to private contract under the due process liberty clause of the Fifth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, and we have the right to assemble and the right to free speech under the First Amendment. So we have every legal right to be doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, the state has no say over what we do. I don't have to follow what, any What state are you in? Connecticut. Connecticut. But it, it, would, it would be any state. It, it, could, um, it could work in any state. So the state would have no say over what we do. Um, and so what do you do? So I, we're kind of a one-room schoolhouse style kind of um, homeschool alternative. Mm -hmm. So I have K to four students. Um, we all are in one room. We all do school together. Um, we do small groups and everybody is very happy there. The parents tell me their kids are the happiest they've been. Is, are you volunteer? Are you one of the teachers? I'm the only teacher the this only year. Teacher. Are, you, are you paid or is it volunteer at this point? They pay me. Um, they pay me. Um, so I would have been a private school if I didn't find this out, if I didn't find out about the private education association. Um, so yeah, we're K to four. It's just me right now. I'm trying to spread it around and get other people involved because I'm only in one little city in Connecticut. Um, 
Ooh. I need other people in Connecticut. Yeah. How many of these would you estimate there are? Do you have any sense of the numbers? I don't. Um, there aren't any others in Connecticut right now, but there are others across the country. And on a side note, this could also be done as homeschooling. Connecticut doesn't highly regulate homeschooling, but other states, they highly regulate homeschooling. So you can withdraw yourself as the parent from the state from the state and just intent. Intent. Basically. Yeah. You have to sign to homeschool in some states, you have to give a letter of intent, not in Connecticut, not in many other states, but in some. And so uh, you could withdraw that and then name the the private education association as your educator mm -hmm. and you're done. So I just I feel like this is I feel like I felt like this was genius when I found out about this. I'm like this is a this this is a loophole and and it's incredible in this particular I mean for instance she does not have to mask she doesn't have to mandate anything it's what her parents want so she works with her parents directly she pays as if it's based essentially you could create any kind of you can't call it a school but it could essentially look like and act like a school if you have a membership base and if you have a board of directors that includes the parents you know, there's, there's certain rules, and I assume that you would be able to speak to this more, but I really feel like this, this is like, this is what, this is what I meant why, by anyone could homeschool. If you can find a PEA, you're just dropping them off at a private school, as long as you can afford a private school. And frankly, she needs to increase her price. <laughs> it's like, it's not enough. We won't, we won't ask how much you're charging. It's not enough. Incrementally, it can rise. Now, Carrie, you're the Foundation for Economic Education, is that right? That's right. Uh, FEE is the country's oldest free market think tank, founded in 1946. And where are you based? I'm based here in Boston and Cambridge, but FEE is based in Atlanta. Okay, and um, you, uh, can you tell us about some of the entrepreneurial homeschooling alternatives that you know about? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like it's been such a disruptive and challenging 18 months, but I'm sort of looking on the bright side in terms of this really transformational moment in American education as a result of the disruption from uh, COVID policies. And sort of three words that really stand out to me are empowerment, exit, and entrepreneurship. Um, empowerment in terms of parents really, once again, back in charge of their children's education in ways that were unimaginable pre-pandemic. I mean, they got this sort of close-up look at what was actually happening in their children's classrooms beginning in the spring of 2020 with district Zoom schooling. And much of what parents saw they didn't like. And so then they started really thinking about alternatives as it became clear that the previous academic year was going to be just as uncertain and unpredictable as, um, as the spring of 2020. I think a lot of families started really looking at alternatives. We saw the rise of pandemic pods uh, which are you know, sort of a modern twist on time-honored homeschool co-ops, but parents realized that there were these schooling alternatives that they could create home-based, multi-age, um, family-centered learning communities. They could hire in educators to lead those sessions uh, and really kind of catapult the micro-school movement that had been gaining traction uh, prior to the pandemic. And then as Danielle mentioned, uh, of course, homeschooling skyrocketed last year. So the US Census Bureau coming out with data in March saying that homeschooling had um, increased to over 5 million students or more than 11% of the overall K-12 school population. Uh, that would be a tripling um, from pre-pandemic levels. 
And I think, you know, if you had told me uh, or asked me sort of late June, early July, you know, what would I have thought in terms of homeschooling for this year? Would there be a dip in those numbers where it looked like schools were going to reopen for full-time in-person learning? I would have said, yeah, there'd probably be some kind of a decline. And yet, uh, now I don't think that anymore, and data is sort of backing that up. I think, you know, we saw um, mask wars occurring throughout the summer uh, on both sides. You know, parents upset that their schools were imposing mask mandates, other parents upset that their schools were not imposing man mask mandates. That creating a lot of uh, conflict uh, at the local level and families really deciding that they'd pull their kids out or, or stay homeschooling because it was really working for them. And because of this kind of continued momentum, I think, in the homeschooling community and uh, the schooling alternative world, we're seeing a lot of education entrepreneurship, is that entrepreneurs are realizing that parents are eager to exit an assigned district school uh, for alternatives, and so uh, they're creating these new uh, innovative solutions. I think of, for example, a, a startup called GetSchoolhouse.com uh, started GetSchoolhouse.com. Get they started in uh, 2020. They're uh, an organization that um, families get together who want to create some kind of learning pod or home-based microschool or even a, a microschool in a local commercial space. And Schoolhouse will connect those families with a certified teacher to lead that pod. They just uh, raised over $8 million in venture capital funding this past April. So there's some real momentum there. I think of Mark Andreessen. Um, the well-known venture capitalist, founder of Andreessen Horowitz uh, venture capital firm, talking a lot about the opportunities within the homeschool space. It really is an opportunity for loopholes, an opportunity for innovation and experimentation uh, that give families more options. And I'll just end with, and we can get more into detail if we want in this too, but I'll end with another startup uh, based here in Boston called KaiPod Learning. Uh, they how just- you, How do you spell that? KaiPod? K-A-I-P-O-D, KaiPod pod learning. They just started uh, a few months ago. Right now they're participating in the prestigious Y Combinator Startup Accelerator Program in Silicon Valley. Uh, so they're on track to get some substantial venture capital funding. And what they do uh, is have uh, commercial spaces, storefront kinds of spaces. I think their pilot right now is in Newton, Massachusetts where they bring multi-age students together into these spaces. They're um, either enrolled in a virtual learning community or homeschooling with some kind of curriculum that they bring to the table. They come to these commercial, this commercial space or this storefront space for up to 50 hours a week if they want uh, full-time care. There's adult facilitators there to help, but the, but the curriculum is chosen by the family. It can be full-time, part-time, so much freedom and flexibility. Uh, and, and again, just so much uh, entrepreneurship and innovation happening right now. I'm wondering, uh, well, a couple of things I'm wondering, uh, first of all, is to think about some resources, other resources that to recommend to the people who are here. And I'm wondering if each of you think that the current existing school systems that we have are salvageable, or if you think that these new models are where families need to start looking. That's an opinion. Um, does anybody want to address either of those questions? I'll take the, I'll, sure, I'll okay. start. Um, <clears throat> I think, I, I can't, I, I, you talk to Jen, I mean, this is an educator. I, I can't believe that public education is dead. I, I don't have it in my soul or something to believe that. I mean, there's a lot of nostalgia for me. I loved school. 
I loved getting my lunchbox and my backpack and like, you know, it was just, it was awesome, right? And, it, and it's really sad, it's tragic that we're at a place where we are, but I certainly, uh, um, there are those among the homeschooling community that well, and really- I, I should have said private as well, public yes, and private, right. you know, the I traditional mean, models. Yes, yeah. yes, and you know, we've, we, in our private Catholic setting, we've had problems. Um, along the lines of critical race theory, um, luckily it was just a local teacher, one person, and they you know, re were redirected very quickly. But, um, so it's, it's everywhere, unfortunately. But um, anyway, yeah, for, for the overall setting, I mean, I can't, I can't just give up on it. There are too many really good teachers. Mm -hmm. The, the hard are. thing is, like, uh, you know, I mean, these two women were brave and they went out on their own at their own peril. You, they, they don't, I mean, Jen does not even have a job, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, if anyone, is anyone hiring? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to recruit her for fair, though, so back, I get first dibs. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, she's amazing. And there are so many other amazing teachers. I, my sister was a teacher for years. She left and retired early because of this stuff. And they- So that's another one. I mean, a lot a of conscientious loss. objectors is what I mean. Yes, like they're, they're leaving, but then there are people that are staying that, that feel like they can't leave their kids. You know, like they, the teachers, teachers love their kids like as if they're their actual flesh and blood. Some, some of these really dedicated teachers. So I, for me, homeschooling is not a, con, I'm not condemning any uh, formal education. I'm not uh, advocating for people to leave. Although, I mean, when I see the numbers double, I have two responses. One, please stop, we're gonna get regulated. That's my first one. <laughs> the second one is we have to have a counterweight. We have to show our power. If the parents do not take back their power, if you don't stand up and if you're not counted as the one that says, I am not accepting this, we're, we're gonna lose. I mean, that's what's gonna happen. We will, then the public system will be, what will happen is the people that have a lot of money, and I, I count myself among those people, I can afford to, to offer a variety of things for my children. Who will be left behind? The poor kids. Mm -hmm. I don't care what color they are, the, the poor kids will be there. And that is just as, as a humanitarian, uh, as a pro-human person, I cannot, I cannot stand for that. Well, and as more families do leave, what effects are that, is that going to have on the school and the systems that remain? Any thoughts on that? I can, I'll just respond sort of to that and, and your previous question. You know, we don't have government grocery stores uh, so I don't think we need government schools. What we need are opportunities to provide people with funds to get a high quality education the same way we provide food stamps for families that are hungry. Uh, and, you know, food and education are important. So I think the model already exists. We, uh, if we can move more towards sort of these school choice policies, education savings accounts, tax credit scholarship programs, voucher programs. Um, we can move away from government-run uh, monopoly schooling into a free market in education, which would serve students much better. Um, and I think we're already seeing that. One of the other consequences in a positive light from the last 18 months of education disruption has been 
record support for school choice policies. Nearly 75% of American taxpayers now support funding following students as opposed to funding bureaucratic school systems. Um, and so I think we're seeing a lot of change there. We have active legislation and school choice in over two dozen states, uh, either introducing some of these mechanisms or expanding existing school choice policies. And is anyone keeping track of where you have, I mean, are, is, are vouchers being used in a lot of places now to allow families to choose where they go? I, yeah, I you know, sort of the, 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 I would say sort of the gold standard really are these education savings accounts that kind of disentangle education from schooling. So they broaden um, the capacity to use education funds. It's not just tuition at a private school, but it could be tutoring services. It could be um, supports for learning or for therapy and that sort of thing as well. Uh, Arizona and Florida are two of the states that really lead the nation in school choice policies where families have a lot of choices. And then on the end, we have two educators who've left. And, and um, I'm curious what you think, if you know, pie in the sky, what would you recommend as the ideal schooling situation for kids? If you could, um, you know, make your pee. Um, and, and actually, I'm thinking now of the pods that people formed. And I'm thinking, can you have a pee in a pod? <laughs> you can have a pee in a pod. <laughs> you can have a pee in a pod. OK, that's The pod great. would be better with a pee in it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, I mean, do you think that this is ideal or is there something that would make it even better that would enhance the model that you're working under now? I think it's ideal because it leaves out all the um, outside influences from politics. Okay. So if we cut out all the politics from school, then we could do what is best for the children. What do you think, Jen? Um, well, I mean, I had aside from the push on race and politics, I, I loved being a teacher. Right. Um, and I think that uh, public school does have some great things to offer. Danelle and I were talking just the other day and she shared an experience when she was younger and she felt safe at school. Yeah. And I think that that's something to, um, you know, that's important for young kids. Um, I think about a lot of my former students and they would get their meals from school. And it was a place where they could um, you know, talk to a social worker if they needed to, have a calm down moment. Um, so I do think that public schools do have a lot to offer. Um, but going back to something you said before about the educators, I'm not sure if there's other teachers um, in the crowd today, but from my experience, so many even great educators were scared to speak up about um, their discomfort and their distrust in the system because they were fearful of losing their jobs or even just being labeled, being questioned. Well, why are you questioning what we're doing? Shouldn't you want to push um, equity among your students? So there was definitely a, a culture of paranoia and fear among teachers. And so even these wonderful educators, and I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but I did, I did love teaching, um, but there's that fear. And so I think that even though there's so many not great things going on in the public school system. There are really great teachers, um, but they might just be really fearful to share how they truly feel about what's going on in those schools. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I want to open it up now to questions from everyone here. These are four really knowledgeable, experienced people. So let's talk, find out what they have to share. being a lot of the transgender ideology put into the classroom. 
do you think that's going to happen? Or do you think that, what do you think? Do you think the numbers, let's go across and start on the left, on my left. I honestly don't have any, uh, <laughs> any background to be talking about that. I'm not sure, truthfully. I wish I could answer that for you. Um, will the trend continue, I guess, is the, is the question. Do you think it will continue? Yeah, you know, it, it, interestingly, it looks like already uh, homeschooling numbers are maintaining their elevated levels, if not increasing. I recently wrote about um, a homeschool advocacy group in Texas that explained that they have three times the number of inquiries uh, this time, this year, than they did last year. And last year was already record highs because, of course, a lot of schools weren't <laughs> reopening for full-time learning. Uh, and they're already three times that. So there's, there's uh, growth there. Virginia was seeing similar growth. Um, I'm not sure so much about the transgender piece. I think what actually is going to lead more families to choose homeschooling are um, the COVID vaccine mandates. We saw Los Angeles became the second largest school district in the country, or the largest school district, they are the second largest school district in the country to, to come out mandating the COVID vaccine for all eligible students. Today, Governor Gavin Newsom announced that the vaccine will be mandatory for all California public school students. Um, so I think we'll still, we'll see um, more families deciding to exit uh, public schools um, for homeschooling and other schooling alternatives as a result of that coercion. It's becoming much more feasible, that's for sure. I'm uh, reminded of an old saying. Oh, there's, here, there's other questions. Let's have these, yeah. Well, first I'd like to say how much I admire what you're doing, uh, all of you, and it's a real um, tonic. I feel like I'm watching uh, the America of Jefferson and de Tocqueville in action here. <laughs> uh, Thank you. The other thing I'd like to say, another historical note very briefly, is that all of you spoke in one way or another about coming out, exiting, uh, with regard to the pupils in the schools and the teachers. And I'm reminded of the biography I read of uh, William Lloyd Garrison, the great abolitionist, right here in Boston. And um, the churches were mealy-mouthed and wishy-washy about abolition. And he exhorted everyone that would listen to him, come out, come out of the churches. If your minister, is mealy-mouthed or wishy-washy about abolition, come out. So you're in a very positive and wonderful historical trend. Now my question, under what conditions, if any, is it um, practical or feasible to run alternative candidates for school boards? Thank you. Alternative, do you mean, um, sorry, I just want to clarify, do you mean alternative like homeschoolers for Board of Ed positions? I'm sorry. I meant, um, I meant candidates for Board of Education positions who would, um, uh, who would be against some of the trends toward indoctrination of public schools. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. Like, I mean, pro, I mean, I certainly would love to have vouchers everywhere. To me, that's how you empower the whole entire country if we do that, right? So, I mean, certainly if there was somebody running on a voucher, a pro-voucher, I would vote for them. <laughs> but I don't know, I don't know. Under, under what a, conditions would it be feasible? I would say under democratic conditions. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I see. 
I think Ian Rowe might be a better person yeah. to answer that question. Uh, but I think that, you know, it's possible that in some districts that seem more difficult, the, the, the silent clamor for change might be stronger than you think. Yeah, and I, I would just say, and I think in some areas there are folks who are um, have a positive outlook towards education choice, running for school boards, or uh, I think of the commissioner of education in New Hampshire as a former homeschooling dad who's a big school choice advocate, has done a lot with out-of-school learning opportunities, uh, Frank Edelblue. So uh, maybe not in New York, but certainly in some places there's uh, some movement there. Yeah. I have a question. Oh, hello. <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it's really great to see you guys up here and to see people who are looking at reform not simply as trying to change existing institutions, but actually going out in an entrepreneurial way and creating something new. Um, and so I applaud you for that because stepping into the unknown is, you know, a scary thing for people. Um, if we're looking for entrepreneurial building new things to actually work, um, they not only have to work for the, they have to present as competition to the existing institutions. And so one of the ways that I was trying to figure out how do we prove that certain things are better than others is through standardized performance measurements. So what currently exists that we can use uh, to show results of students against other groups of students. And, and the ones that exist, are any of them problematic for any reasons? And are there other ones that are emerging that look like they could be good tools? Great. You want to talk to? I can answer unless you sure. want to go first. Can I? Uh, go ahead. Go uh, ahead, Charlie. Well, first of all, being a teacher, I don't agree with the standardized testing. Um, I don't feel it shows what the students know. Some students just aren't good at tests. My son, he was terrible at test taking, but he was very smart. So I'm this. Not saying, I'm not saying that it's a, it's a panacea. It's a, this isn't something that solves everything. Mm -hmm. But it's the best thing we've got in right. order to measure across an enormous country and enormous population. And we have to start somewhere to understand how much math do people know? What's the level? Yeah, I don't. This is the reality. Life is not fair. But But measuring is important to who? Because as a parent, measuring is not important to me. And a lot of my other parents, measuring is not important to them. As per standardized testing measurements, their measurement would be, did my child know, does my child know more than they knew when they came in? Did um, one parent texted me this morning and said, my daughter is at home doing math. She doesn't like math. She doesn't, she said math is difficult for her. She's been going to your school and now she wants to learn how to do math. That's how a parent would measure if this school is better than another school. 
So Shawnee, in your model, there uh, is no required statewide accountability, but right. it's legal. But aren't there some homeschooling models, maybe you're not the one to ask, that do require statewide accountability and testing? I, New York, some states do, some states don't? Well, that's actually one of the questions I'd asked Danelle um, about homeschooling, and I'm, I feel like I can validate your question. My question to Danelle was, well, where's the accountability? Like, when I was teaching remotely, I had uh, kids who were not logging on, or who'd log on and they'd play video games. And so even though their parents were home making sure they were remote learning, there was no accountability and they were just pushed on to the next grade. Which, so which happens in traditional schooling COVID, during COVID as well. Absolutely, right. And it, and it happens even in full in, person. In classrooms. Right, as yeah. we all know. Um, so I, I definitely understand your question. I personally, that was one of the things I'd asked Danelle, like where is the accountability for homeschooling and I think it's a really important um, conversation because we do want to be able to say, um, yeah, my child, it, you know, they can move on from second grade. So the most recent data on uh, homeschooling outcomes in particular comes from uh, Lindsay Burke, who uh, is, runs the Education Center at the Heritage Foundation, she did a literature review looking at uh, outcomes for homeschooled students, and they outperform um, their schooled peers and have positive academic outcomes, do well in college, have life adjustments, um, and, and so on. So I think in, in terms of homeschooling in particular, you know, we don't have to worry about outcomes there. I think back to the point around accountability, you know, accountability is with the parents. And I think somebody over here started mentioning private schools and charter schools. Parents are deciding what the best educational fit is for their kids. And this is, this is similar to other aspects of our lives, right? If you think about uh, all of the choices we have in every other aspect of our lives, uh, we have an assortment of, of options to choose from. When it comes to education, our choices are incredibly narrow. And so what I'm seeing again over the past 18 months and what I think is going to really continue to be um, creating a lot of disruptive innovation in the, in the years to come uh, is kind of moving away from this top-down government-controlled education system into a much more um, innovative, entrepreneurial, free market in education. Well, interestingly, my husband is an educational researcher. So I live with somebody that measures outcomes. That's his job, that's what he does. <clears throat> I see, here's the problem. <clears throat> pardon me, there's no, there's no mechanism to get funding. He would love, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> he would love to research homeschooling, but there are no grants for him to, to do that. So homeschoolers, even many of them are welcoming that idea. They, they, they to your point, they want to prove, look, we're doing a better job. And where you do see it is, look at anybody's SAT score, now we don't count those, but if you look at a home score's SAT score, they tend to score higher. You even see like the, the general, the outcome of you know, how many home scores go to, on to college, or you know, these are all off the chart. They're doing much better than their peers. But um, I, I kind of agree in a way for uh, maybe opt-in, I know you don't like testing. A lot of people don't like testing. <clears throat> My kids love tests. I love tests. I um, was an accountant before I did this. <laughs> I'm married to a statistician. So, so I have no problem with that. But there's no, it, it's, a, it's a problem that I, I've been working on in my mind with my husband. We're talking it through. 
Um, so if anybody would like to fund a homeschooling study, I have a statistician in mind for you. <laughs> or I'd love a study of how widespread CRT DEI is. I get asked that question all the time, and it's, it's not quantified yet that I'm aware of. I know Ilana had a question. Yes. Um, you know, as I alluded uh, when I spoke, the problem is a national problem. It's not a personal problem. <clears throat> and parents finding personal solution is wonderful. I found one. I took my kids out of public school and put them in a religious Jewish school, although I'm not religious. Uh, so a personal solution is very good. However, this is not really solving our national problem. And my question is, uh, those parents are moving to all those uh, alternatives, which is wonderful, and I'm not uh, challenging them on that. Do they feel that by that they are really taking care of the issue? I have several parents at homeschoolers that joined my movement or our movement more correctly. Uh, but do you feel that there is any understanding among those parents that they have to take another step further in order to really eradicate this problem from our society because the consequences are far reaching in terms of the transforming our society. So I, I think that it's a battle worth fighting, but it's gonna be a long fight. So I think parents need a solution right now. So a lot of my parents are in my private education association, but they're still running for Board of Ed. They're still fighting the fight, but they have their children in a safe space for now. So I, they understand that there is, it, it's a long fight, it's gonna be a long fight. Well, I personally have been fighting this fight for a very long time. In fact, at one of the faculty gatherings, my last parting word was, uh, if you fix it, we will come. Because I was really ridiculed <laughs> I <like> for, <laughs> I was ridiculed for first, she, oh, she's the one that's got the Catholic kid, they're in Catholic school. This was horrifying to people, just like as if they had put them in a cult. And then when I homeschooled, it was like I had completely gone off the reservation at this point. This was just like, what is she doing? Oh, it's just crazy Danelle doing something <laughs> ridiculous again. They really, really do not uh, see the power. They don't see, uh, they don't see me as an equal. Um, and and this, they're good people. They just think they know better. And, uh, and, and maybe they do. I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm open to, to hearing their side of it, uh, but I'm not willing to put my kids in that situation. However, as I said, I'm not willing to give up. So I volunteer, I would, I'd like to say part-time, but anyone that works with FAIR will know I, I basically volunteer full-time for that organization. I spend all of my waking hours talking about critical race theory, listening to parents. I can't, I become a therapist to these people. They call with their horrifying stories and I'm, I'm documenting them, I'm trying to get them to this person and that, I'm organizing people. I'm, I'm officially the, the Northern Connecticut, but if anyone calls, I, I, I'm not gonna say, oh, I'm sorry, you're not in my district, mm -hmm. because there's no one else that's actually doing my role right now in Connecticut, so if I have any Connecticut people out there that would like to help me with the leadership role, um, I would love some assistance for the, the rest of our state. Um, and I'll take calls from, from anywhere. I've, I talk to people from all over the country, friends of mine that are like, what are you doing again? Well, I had this problem. So I feel like it's interesting. In, in many ways, homeschoolers are very, uh, they're more, uh, they're very rooted in the community. 
and they're really dedicated to, to seeing the community around them thrive. It's kind of, I would say, an ethos. The new, you know, the, the, the 2.5 that just came into our community, I cannot speak to them, but I would say that the, that's, that's just part of like being a homeschooler. You don't, you use the community. We use the libraries. We, you know, we don't use the school, but we certainly pay our taxes. And therefore, we want to make sure the education is good. I want to make sure that my money is going to be used for something good and not evil. So I'm just as invested. And in fact, I, I volunteered to run for Board of Ed. And thankfully, because I'm very busy, and I thought, oh my gosh, could I really do this? But like Ian, I felt like I have to, if I'm going to say this, I have to put myself out there. I have to be willing to do it. So I said, OK, I'll, I'll run. And, and two teachers, which I was super excited, they're much more qualified because they're teachers in different districts. But they said, no, you keep doing what you're doing. We'll run. And I just, I'm so grateful to them. I, I you know, we'll see if they, I'm, I can't imagine anyone not voting for a teacher that's out of district, but they're, they're educators that are willing to put the time in and make our school system better. So I think you'll find like the homeschooling community, at least of 2019 and before that I know, they're very civic minded. They're very, they're, they're not selfish people. They're not like, this is my, that's not my problem anymore. You know, you have some people like that, but not really because they're dependent and they know it on the, the people around them. They're dedicated to raising good citizens and good people, not just getting their kids by. You know, it's like, it's a different kind of dedication. When, you're, when you decide, okay, I'm gonna homeschool, it's, it's horrifying at first, I'll be honest. I'm like, oh, I don't know, uh, could I do this? Uh, so you need support. And that homeschooling community, they, they're very supportive. And they let you know, like, all right, now you're still gonna go to the Board of Ed meeting. You're still gonna be, you know, you're still gonna be a director on the library, right? Because we need to have a good variety of books in the, so these, these are the, I think, I think homeschooling has a bad rap, kind of, and it's from very, very, very old ideology. And, and maybe there were some terrible people, I'm sure there are some terrible people within our community, but there are some pretty awful people within our schools right now. So, you know, I don't know, pick your poison, I guess, is <laughs> sort of my attitude about that. I, I think Deb Philman has been waiting. I, I just wanted to say, um, first of all, thanks to all of you and all your, your contributions, but one thing that we have to remember is that these are little people and it's really hard to measure their happiness and their well-adjustedness and yeah. and so it's really easy I think to get bogged down in things about academics and measurement things of that nature but having homeschooled and had my kids in public school the big thing that I see that really can't be measured but I think we need to pay more attention to and talk more about is their psychology how how well are they doing we don't educate test scores, we educate people. They're going to grow up to be people. And that, you know, they're, we have to be accountable to them. That's, kind of, the, that's the social yeah. emotional learning argument, isn't it? Mm. But, Which has now become toxic, but to your point, I absolutely agree. And I think every single homeschooler is trying to individually, for each one of their kids, make sure that their happiness factor is off the charts. I mean, we all know the expression, you're only as happy as your least happy kid. Right, and I, I really feel that every single day. You know, when, when one of my kids got, uh, you know, stressed out over a project they're doing at school or whatever, like, I feel the stress 
you know, empathy can be a good thing, even though in today it was presented in sort of a, a really twisted way, but having empathy for your own children and for the, the children among you and around, you know, in your community, is, it's critical. And another excellent research assignment for an ed school professor. You Indeed, know, the we just need some funding. Of, of funding. <laughs> so we got time for one last question. Where am I going? Uh, I think she's been waiting up front on the front. Schooling parent of three, myself, we're actually unschoolers, so we don't do curriculum. I think it's really important to mention that school at home looks nothing like school at school. Um, and it can be done in a far less time because school spends a lot of time <laughs> lining kids up, making kids get and do things, Taking sit attendance. down, yeah, doing all this bull loney that really <laughs> is irrelevant and wasteful and bores the heck out of the kids, first of all. They demand boys sit for hours and don't allow them to run around and then label them as ADHD. So, you know, in my mind, the reality is, is that school actually learning the basics is extremely easy. And for many kids, it comes in as osmosis, as a side effect of doing things they enjoy. And I have proof of that because I have two 15 year olds and a 13 year old who are unschooled and all of them taught themselves to read. They all have, are amazingly erudite. They're thinking people and they know how to learn. And I really think the most important thing for us parents to create are children who know how to learn because then anything is possible. And unfortunately, I don't think our schools are creating that. And our last question back here. Thank you. A quick question on, home, on uh, uh, school vouchers and school choice issues. Is there any traction or hope of traction in blue states? <laughs> Not as much as in red. <laughs> no. And is there any hope? Um, I think we can uh, push for lifting charter school caps. That might be our best bet in blue states at the moment. Wow. Well, I guess we're ending on a summer note. Thank you, ladies, uh, for your great uh, panel. No, we'll keep trying. <laughs>